Let me say a word about Scott Horde that you will, uh, you will meet next week. Uh, his ministry, he calls it the ministry to the unborn, as Dale has mentioned. Uh, a, a fine, fine fellow. I was told about Scott by Tom uh, Estes, who told, him to, uh, told me about him for quite some time. And I was able to make an appointment with Scott. We had lunch together. I enjoyed meeting him. And I thought during this time of the year, when we are talking about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, aren't you glad he wasn't removed? You wouldn't have a Savior if it were not for him. And so while we're talking about that, I thought it would be a great time for Scott to come and tell us about his ministry now. I want to say this, I shouldn't have to say this, but I, I do because of the practice of, of many churches today. I've been to these meetings before, and they take up about three or four offerings. <laughs> we will not take up a special offering for Scott if you wish to give him something. We already have some monies that are dedicated to that ministry, and we're going to give all those plus some others to him. So if you want to give any special gifts that Sunday, that's between you and the Lord. But we're not going to take up any kind of special offering. I, I used to go to these meetings and they'd have uh, Dr. So-and-so and Professor So-and-so, and they would uh, get you to come, and then they'd take up three or four offerings there. And we're not going to do that. The Lord has already provided, and he provides through you and through your regular gifts to the work here. I have mentioned before, but I will mention again, that through your giving, we support Danny Shanks down in the islands. He lives on the island of Dominica. We support the Grace Centers of Hope, who take people in off of the street up in Michigan, uh, located in Pontiac, uh, Michigan. Uh, we support uh, other missionaries and ministries that I can't remember right now, and I'd like to uh, see us support something like Scott Horg in this ministry to the unborn. What kind of a price can you put on a human life? The Lord Jesus said, uh, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So the whole world is not valuable, as valuable as one soul. The Jews, the Jewish people down through the years have a saying that when you save one soul, you save the world. And when you save the world, you save a soul. So that's true. Uh, the, the man, the human beings that we are, we were made in the image of God, and we need to do all we can to guarantee that according to our uh, Constitution, uh, we are endowed with certain liberties, and among those are what? What's the first one mentioned? Life, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, you can't have any pursuit of happiness and liberty if you don't have life. If your life is deprived, you're deprived of everything else that follows it. So I'm 100% behind Scott Horde, and I hope you will be too. All right, let's sing Draw Me Nearer, 314. Draw me nearer, O Lord, to the cross which thou hast died. Like to stand on this one. I am thine, O Lord. I heard thy voice, and it told thy love. 
you remain standing and get your Bibles ready to turn to Genesis chapter 39, and we're going to sing our song to the Lord, inviting Him to come and help us this morning as we look into His Holy Word. I want to say how thankful I am that Many of you who have been ill are with us today, Nelson and Linda Foster and Shirley Murphy and Paul Osborne, and I don't know how many of the rest of you have been sick or ill. Steve and Meg, I think, have been ill, been sick. A while back, Charlie was. Most, many of us have been ill with something. We're glad you could be here today with us to worship the Lord, and let's pray that the Lord will be with us and among us today as we open His Word. Father, I stretch my hand to Thee. No other help I know. If Thou withdraw Thyself from I'm sorry I misled you in that verse. Go, Brother Turner. For years we sang, 
if thou withdraw thyself from me. And then folks said, hey, let's don't sing that. All right, I said, let's sing, if I withdraw myself from thee. Because the Lord said to the apostles, are you going away too? He made a strong statement in John chapter 6. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And it says, and from that time many of them went away. Many of his disciples went away and walked no more with him. And he said, will you also go away? And they said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So we know that the Lord, once He saves us, and I'm going to try to deal with this after the holidays. I can't deal with it between now and the holidays, but after the holidays, I'm going to deal with our security, probably using Joseph and the story there, our security that we have in Christ. I'll tell you more about that later. If I start talking about that now, then I won't get to the message that I have for for you today. I want to ask you, in addition to the prayer requests that have been mentioned today, I want to also ask you to be praying for Carolyn Batt. Carolyn Batt, who usually comes with Betty. Uh, Carolyn has had some mini strokes, and she's asking for prayer, and we want to remember her before, before the Lord. Genesis chapter 39, and beginning in verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in his sight in the sight of the keeper of the prison." And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. I've titled today's study, Joseph the Believer. Joseph the Believer. This is our 23rd study on the story of Joseph. Now, in our last study, which I entitled The Secret Power of Promises, we learned four lessons. And I'm going to review them for you. And they'll lead into what I have for you today. The first lesson we learned in our last study was to every event, everything that happens to us, everything that happens to the children of God, there are secondary reasons and there is a primary reason. The secondary reasons involve persons and places and things and the actions and the reactions of those persons, places and things, but the primary reason is the will of the Lord the will of the Lord by decree, or the will of the Lord by permission. Lesson number two, we learned that we must walk by faith and not by sight. By sight, we can only see what appears to be happening, but by faith, we can look beyond what we see with our eyes, and we can discern the hand of God in all things. Often, what looks like 
what is happening. What looks like is happening is not. For example, to Job's three friends, it looked like Job had sinned. To the Jews, it looked like they were rid of Jesus when they put him to death on the cross. To the brothers of Joseph, it looked like Joseph was going to be a slave in Egypt for the rest of his life, and they were rid of him. Now, to the world, we may look like nobody's going nowhere. But like Joseph, we have been given a promise that our future is bright. We will be in heaven with the Lord. As John says, now all we the sons of God and the daughters of God, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Our Lord, we are told in John chapter 14, has gone to prepare a place for us, and he has promised us that he will come again and receive us unto himself, that where he is, there we may be also. So like Joseph, and I'm going to tell you more about this today and what's involved, like Joseph, we trust the Lord in all things and through all things because we haven't been told all things that will happen in our journey to heaven. The third lesson we learned was that the Lord does not always deliver all of His children from all of their hardships as they travel through this world on the way to their destination in heaven. And we know this from passages like Hebrews 11, verses 35 through 40, where we find that there were people who believed the report of the gospel who underwent cruel mockings and floggings and chains and imprisonments and torture and stoning. They were destitute of food, destitute destitute of clothes, destitute of houses, lived in dens and caves of the earth. Nevertheless, they trusted the Lord, and eventually they found themselves with the Lord. But now by observing the life of Joseph, we see that even when the Lord does deliver His children, He doesn't usually do it immediately. He does it over time using the natural actions and the reactions of men. You can see that in the story of Joseph. You can see that especially in the story of our Savior. And that's usually the way it is with us. When we pray to the Lord and ask Him for deliverance, He hears us. But sometimes He says, I'm going to deliver you, but not like you think. You know, we have to be careful. I remember being at a funeral a memorial service for a believer. And uh, the, the fellow that was handling the memorial service said, we prayed for our sister, and the Lord heard us. And then he said, you know, we have to be careful what we're praying for. We, pray, we prayed for the Lord to make her well, and He has made her so well that she will never be sick again. So you have to be explicit when you're talking to the Lord and tell Him what you mean. He may not deliver like you expect, but He does hear us, and He does deliver us. You think about going to heaven. Does the Lord save us and then take us out of this world? No. He usually gives us many years to serve Him here before the reward of serving Him there. Lesson number four was that we learned we can be thankful in all things because we are promised that the Lord is working in all things for our good. The Bible says, "...in everything give thanks, 
For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. And then the Bible says, We know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So what you put those two passages together, and we say this, all things may not be good in themselves, but the Lord is able to work in them for our good. And Joseph confessed this in Genesis chapter 50 to his brothers. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Now in our last study, we learned of the means by which Joseph survived and even thrived while undergoing severe trial. How did he do it? It was by believing the promise of God. By believing the promise of God, Joseph survived and even thrived. You notice all the places in Genesis 39 where it says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord blessed Joseph, and the favor of the Lord was upon Joseph. Joseph was believing that promise of God, the promise that God gave to him when he was 17 years old. In that promise, the Lord said to Joseph that he was going to bless him immeasurably, that his future was bright, and that he was destined to an exalted position of unimaginable glory and power. But right after that revelation, let me ask you this. Do you know what happened to the Lord Jesus right after he was baptized? Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Right after his baptism, then he was confronted with the devil. And Joseph seems to be prospering. But right after this divine revelation that was given to him in this dream of this bright future, everything was turned upside down. His brothers threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, and before you know it, he's in Egypt, the slave of a heathen sun worshiper, and he made the best of it, though. He impressed his master Potiphar so much that before long, he was in charge of his entire estate. Look at verse 4 of Genesis chapter thirty. Nine And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had put into his hand. He made him the headmaster of his entire estate. But just then again, as things were looking up for Joseph, more trouble came his way. The wife of his master began to hit on him, as we say today. He avoided being alone with her, but to no avail. One day she actually cornered him, and she insisted that he lie with her. But Joseph ran. But when he ran, she told the household servants, and she told her husband that it was Joseph who had been the aggressor. And the next thing you know, Joseph is branded a rapist, and he is in an Egyptian prison. Now ask again, what sustained him through all of this? How was he able to keep going? 
how did he maintain his sanity? Now, without exaggeration, if any of us had gone through what he did, we would have been losing our faith, probably. We'd have been saying, what in the world is going on? How did he go through this? How did he uh, hold up? Here it is. It's very simple. He believed God. He believed his word. He believed his promise to him. He knew that God, who cannot lie, had promised to bless him, to advance him, and he held on to this hope regardless of what happened to him. To put it another way, Joseph was a believer. This is our first point today. This is my first lesson today. Joseph was a believer. Now, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11 while I'm talking to you. Hebrews chapter 11. Joseph stood upon the promise of God for time and eternity, for good or evil, in sickness and in health, in freedom or in slavery, in Canaan or in Egypt. He believed God when he was tending his father's sheep, and he believed God when he was tending to Potiphar's affairs. He believed God when he was his father's son, and he believed God when he was his master's slave. And Joseph may have lived thousands of years before the Messiah was born, but he was a believer in the most authentic way. There's no doubt in my mind that he knew of the promise, the original promise, the first promise given of the Messiah, of the Savior, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where the Lord said to the devil, the woman's seed to the devil, he said, the woman's seed is going to bruise your head. He's going to crush your head. And you're going to bruise his heel. He's going to crush your head. Now, you may not know it right now, but all of the promises made to Israel, from the promised land to the promised prophets, all of that led to the promise of the Messiah in Genesis 3.15. That's the whole purpose of the promised land. The promised Messiah is going to come to the promised land. All of these people that uh, the Lord used all point to, and I'll have more to say about that in just a moment, the promised Messiah. So there's no doubt in my mind that Joseph knew of this messianic promise given in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and the knowledge of that event and the promise that the Lord made in the Garden of Eden had been passed down from generation to generation. Abraham believed the promise, and he taught it to his son Isaac. Isaac believed it, and he taught it to his son Jacob. Jacob believed it, and he taught it to his son Joseph. So a believer is this. A believer is one who believes God. To believe God is to believe the promises of God. Joseph was a believer in the promises of God. Now, you should be in Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to show you something about the faith of Joseph in the promises of God. Now, a few weeks ago, I said that Joseph wasn't mentioned in the New Testament, and that's not what I meant to say, but I'll try to correct my statement in a future study. 
Forget that for right now, but my point now is Joseph was a believer, and we know he was a believer because he believed at the promises of God. And we know he believed at the promises of God because of a passage here in Hebrews chapter 11. It is found in verse 22. Verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel, and he gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel, and he gave commandment concerning his bones. Now, I'd like for you to turn to Genesis chapter 50, the first, ver- first book in the Bible, and the last chapter in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 50. And while you're turning, I ask this question. Where did the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews get this information about Joseph? Well, he got it from Genesis 50, what we call Genesis 50. The Scriptures are the inspired record of the will, the mind of God, and shows what the Lord has done in history and predicts what He's going to do in future history. Now, in Genesis chapter 50, let's begin reading in verse 24. You probably know the story here, but Joseph and his brothers have buried their father Jacob. And now his brothers say, well, because dad is dead, now Joseph is going to get us back for all that we've done to him. He's been nice while dad was alive. And you know, I've lived long enough and I've seen a lot of strange things happen to people. And I've seen that very thing happen. I've seen folks that became different personalities once both of their parents were gone. (laughs) They let it all hang out then. They didn't do it. They kept, you know, mom or dad kept them in line while they were here. But when they were gone... Then they became different people. And that's what these brothers, these brothers are afraid that Joseph is now going to bring down the hammer on them. And so they began apologizing to him and saying, uh, you know, Dad uh, told us to ask you to forgive us and so on. And that's when he makes this, this famous statement, verse 19, Am I in the place of God, he said, As for you, verse 20, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Translation, God had you sell me and then had me sold again to Potiphar to get me into prison, to get me to the throne of Egypt, that I might give Pharaoh a plan that preserved our family through the famine. If our family had not been preserved through the famine, none of the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could have been carried out. And by the way, my friends, the reason God preserved Israel down through the centuries is because of the promise He made to Abraham about the promised Messiah. 
The reason Israel was preserved is because out of them is going to come the Savior, the promised Messiah. So after Joseph does this, he assures them that he's going to nourish them, verses uh, 21 and 22. He's going to take care of them, and he did. It tells us about how long he lived, verse 23. He saw Ephraim, that was his son, Ephraim's children, to the third uh, generation, and the children of Machah, the children of Manasseh, were brought up upon his knees. And now here we, we come to this passage that's quoted in the Hebrews eleven twenty-two, verse 24. Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land whence he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel and said, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now let me open this up a little bit for you. Verse 24, Joseph said to his brethren, I die, I'm going to die. I'm near the time of my death now. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land. Now watch this now. Into the land which he swear. That's the Hebrew word shabal. And it means to promise with an oath. Swear is the past tense of swore. Swore, uh, swear, and I'm sorry. Swear is the present tense and swore is the past tense or the uh, the, the other tense of swear. Ne never mind that. Just remember this. This word swear, whatever translation you have, is the Hebrew word shabal, and it means to promise with an oath. So he says, God will visit you, and he'll bring you out of this land, into the land which he, with an oath, promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Now watch what he does. Verse 25. And Joseph took an oath. That is the same word, shabah. If you wanted to write it in English, it would be S-H-A-W-B-A-H. The same word, he took an oath. He made them swear to him with an oath that they would take his body, his bones, with them when God fulfilled his promise that he had made about giving them the promised land. For he said, God will surely visit you. God will surely visit you, and when he does, you shall carry up my bones from here. Then it tells us that he lived for 110 years. Now listen, here's what Joseph is saying. Number one, God will remember the promise that he's made to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. He keeps his promises. Number two, based upon his faith in God's promises, Joseph required a promise from his family. That's in verse 25. Based on the promise of God, he requires a promise from his father. And Joseph made his family promise 
that when God fulfilled his promise, the promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they would fulfill the promise that they are now required to make to him. Now, my friends, the body of Joseph was never buried. That is a picture of the resurrection. It says they embalmed him. Now, what it says in verse 26? They embalmed him. A beautiful, wonderful picture of the resurrection. His body was never buried. And listen now, for 400 years, for 400 years, the body of Joseph testified to the children of Israel of the promise that the Lord had made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob regarding the promised land. And now, today, in the age in which we live, many are saying God is dead. They're saying the Bible is antiquated. It's just a book of myths. It's just a book of old sayings and stories and pictures. I saw something last night, a so-called documentary on the, uh, the life of Jesus Christ. You're going to see a lot of that now on the History Channel here in the next few weeks. And most of it will uh, question, they'll question the Bible record given to us about God, His promises, and about His Son. So we're in an age now where we've got to stand up and be like Joseph. We've got to believe God no matter what these people, these so-called scholars, are saying. Joseph's body was there for 400 years. 400 years, his body was there. Let me say it this way. The body and the bones of Joseph was the only Bible the children of Israel had for over 400 years. That's the only Bible they had. When they saw that coffin, who is that? Well, that's Joseph. How long? Well, who, who is Joseph? Well, they'd tell them the story of Joseph, and they'd tell them how Joseph made the children of Israel promise that he would not be buried because he was going to be buried in the promised land because God was going to give the promised land because God does not lie. He always does what he says. If he's pronounced it, he will bring it to pass. If he has said it, he will do it. And he said, I don't want you to bury me. And they left that coffin there 400 years. I say that's the only Bible the children of Israel had. The only Bible they had, the testimony of Joseph's body, the testimony of Joseph in his body, actually, all they had for over 400 years. Yes, sir, I think Joseph was a believer. And here's the second lesson for today. All the promises of God, in one way or another, we're going to put three words up here on the board for you. All the promises of God in the Scripture are Christotelic, Christocentric, and Christotestic. Now just look at those Bibles. You can see that it has the Christ in it. Christotelic means that the end, the end and the purpose of the promises find the, the, their purpose and their end and their fulfillment in Christ. Christocentric means Christ is the centerpiece in Scripture, and Christotestic means that the Scriptures testify of Him. 
The Bible plainly tells us in the book of Hebrews that all of these things, including Joseph, were shadows. They were pictures, but the substance is Christ our Lord. I believe that the Old Testament saints, they didn't know that his name would be called Jesus, but the Old Testament saints believed the promises of God about the Messiah just as surely as we do about the Messiah who has come and the record given of him. Now let me break this down for you, and I want you to follow me carefully. Christ is the living Word. The living Word. The living Word is the meat and the substance and the testimony and the theme of the written Word. The written Word. So the meat and the substance of the written Word of God is Christ, the Messiah, the living Word of God. Now these two the written Word of God and the living Word of God have been joined together by the Lord. And as we say in marriage, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Here's what the Bible says. In the beginning, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then Jesus said in John 5, 39, such the Scriptures... In them you think you have eternal life. They testify of me. It is in the written word that the living word is revealed. Now faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. And hearing by the written word of God. It is in hearing the written word of God that the voice of the living word of God is heard. Now, let me explain this to you. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3? Maybe you'd like to turn back to Genesis chapter 3. I'll show you exactly where I'm coming from here. Genesis chapter 3 says this. In verse 8, it says, speaking of Adam and Eve, just after they sinned, verse 7, their eyes were open, they knew they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together, they made themselves aprons. And it says in the eighth verse of Genesis chapter 3, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now listen. They heard the voice walking. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking. You will note that it does not say they heard the Lord God walking. It says they heard the voice of God walking. Now, this walking voice we may call the walking Word of God. This walking voice or walking Word was our Savior in pre-incarnate form. That is, in the form that He was in before He became a man. He was in the form of God before He took the form 
of a man. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, we read, Being in the form of God, he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Now, our Savior has existed in three forms for us, as far as our experience. First, the walking voice or the walking word. Secondly, the written voice or the written word. And thirdly, the human voice or the voice of God in Jesus the Messiah. Before taking upon himself the form of a man, the living word was in the form of the voice of God spoken, and then the voice of God written. So here's what we have. We have the voice of God spoken, we have the voice of God written, and we have the voice of God robed in flesh. Now the voice of God spoken is the voice that spoke the world into existence. How did, the, how did the world come into existence? How did the universe? God said. God said. It was the voice. It was the word, the living word, the living voice by which God spoke the world into existence. That is the voice that Adam and Eve heard walking in the Garden of Eden. The voice of God written in the Bible which is a book of promises, over 7,000 of them. The voice of God incarnate, that's God in the flesh, is the culmination and the fulfillment of all of the promises made by the voice of God spoken and the voice of God written. Do you understand what I'm saying? The voice of God in flesh is the culmination and the fulfillment of all the promises made by the voice of God spoken, such as in Genesis 3, 8 here, and the voice of God written. Now these promises are made to the believer regardless of the age that believer lives in. Whether in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Middle Ages, or in the 21st century, the word of promise to the believer is always relevant, regardless of when that believer lives. Now, Joseph believed the promise of God, and I believe the promise of God. There must be a promised land for a promised Messiah to come. The promised land was merely a means by which the Almighty was used to bring about the original promise of a Messiah. So here's what I say. I say when one believes the voice of God, that is the Word of God, written, when one believes the Word of God written, one believes the Word of God incarnate in the flesh. The voice of God in the form of a man, and we call him the living Word. Now Joseph believed the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. To hear Jesus is to hear the living Word. To hear the living Word is to hear the written Word. To hear the written Word is to hear the spoken Word. The Word, the voice that Adam and Eve heard in the Garden of Eden. So once more, let me say it this way. Jesus is the Word of God, 
in flesh. He is the substance of the written word, and he is the word of promise spoken in the Garden of Eden, the divine word by which the universe was spoken into existence. Now turn to John's gospel, if you will. The gospel of John, chapter 10, first of all. Gospel of John, chapter 10. You understand now that we've got a spoken word, then we've got a written word, and then we've got a living word. Spoken word, that's the voice of God that Adam and Eve heard walking in the Garden of Eden. Then that word took written form, or the mind of God was written down in the written word, and then the substance of the written word was the promised incarnate word, the Messiah, who came to fulfill all of the promises in the written word of God. Now, when you read certain passages, this jumps out at you, or should, in John chapter 10, for example, Gospel of John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. John chapter 10, and in verse 22. It was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said to him, How long do you make us to doubt? If you are the Messiah, if you are the Christ, then tell us plainly. And Jesus said, I told you, and you believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. They show who I am. Nobody's ever been able to do these works that I do. But you believe not, verse 26, because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep, here it is now, hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they'll never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him. And he said, why are you stoning me? Why do you want to stone me? And they said, we're not stoning you for a good work, verse 33, but because you are only a man and you're making yourself God. They understood him to say that he was God in the flesh, the Son of God. Now I go back to John's Gospel, chapter 1. Now the emphasis there in John 10, and you'll see it many places in John, is hearing the voice. If you hear the voice, if you hear him, if you believe on him, you belong to him. Now I want you to listen. I don't want to get too much into this right now because I'm, I've got something for you in the future. But I want to say this. When you were born to your mom and to your dad, you will never be unborn to them. You can never be somebody else's kid. 
Isn't that right? Not as far as I know. You were born to your mother from your father, and they will always be your mother, and they will always be your father. Now, let's take an example here. Let's take the, the famous story that we've all heard of the prodigal son. Okay, the prodigal son found in the Gospel of Luke. The prodigal, that story of the prodigal son about two boys. And those two boys had a father. And I believe it was the youngest boy. The youngest boy said, Father, give me my inheritance now. And his father gave it to him. And he went out and he spent everything he had. And then he began to be in want. He got into trouble. Now here's a question. Why did he get into trouble? He got into trouble because he wouldn't wait on the will of his father. But when he didn't wait on the will of his father, his father was still his father. He never was not his father. He was still his father. Even though he was disobedient. Even though he was in modern terms that many Bible teachers would use, out of fellowship. He was out of fellowship with his father, but his father was still his father. He couldn't do anything to not be. I'm sure there were times when my dad wished somebody else was my father. And there were certainly times when I wished somebody else was my dad. But there wasn't a thing that either one of us could do about it. And after the Lord saved me, then I saw the Lord's wisdom in all of the things that he let me go through and all of the things, uh, the relationships that I had with my dad. Some of you had good relationships with your dad. Some of you didn't. Some of you had good relationships with your mother. Some of you didn't. But here's the thing. You were their son or their daughter. And there wasn't anything you could do about that. So when that prodigal son for whatever reason, said, I want everything now. And he went out and wasted it with riotous living. I think that's where the King James states it. And he began to be in want. And he filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And one day he came to himself. And he said, these, these slaves out here, these heathen, they're eating better than I am. I'm going to go back home. And I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned. I have sinned. Now, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 or 9, 1 John 1, 9, I believe it is, said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, how are you going to confess all your sins if you don't even know them all? In the Old Testament, you know, they had uh, offerings for sins of ignorance. I'm going to enlighten you on that verse just a little bit today, but more so in the future. That word confess there is better translated acknowledge. Acknowledge. You acknowledge I've sinned. And then when you acknowledge you have sinned, he's faithful not only and just to forgive you, 
but to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you acknowledge you are a sinner, if you acknowledge you have sinned, then I believe the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all of your sins, even the ones you don't remember, and so you can't, quote, confess them. We've gotten this idea today really because of our Roman Catholic church friends of going to somebody and naming these things. It's not, that's not the idea. The idea is acknowledging it, and it doesn't even say that you have to be torn up about it. You might be torn up about it. You might experience guilt. You might experience all of that. But that's not what the text says. The text says acknowledging your sins. So the prodigal son goes out and he says, I'm going to go home and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you. And uh, I am no more worthy to be called your son. Just make me as a, one of your servants, a hired servant. Remember that? And the scripture says that when he started back home, it says the father saw him when he was yet a long way off and the father ran out to meet him. The father still loved him. He was still his father. Even though he was disobedient, even though he was out in left field, even though he had wasted his life, even though he had messed up, even though he was out of fellowship, if you want to say it that way, he was still his son and he was still his father. And what was happening to him when he was out there? Well, he was getting whipped. <laughs> he was getting what the book of Hebrews calls chastisement. Chastening. The Bible in the book of Hebrews says that the troubles that the children of God undergo is the chastening hand of God upon them to bring them to the place where they say, Father, I have sinned, where they acknowledge it. You remember when he came back home and his father said, kill the fatted calf and put the ring on his and put the shoes on his feet. All of that has to do with ownership, being a son. Uh, and then the other boy came home and heard all this music. He heard a party going on. He said, what's going on in there? And they said, well, your younger brother came back home, and your father has welcomed him, and they're having a celebration. What he should have said was, praise the Lord, I'm glad he's back. But in, in, in many cases, he was like a lot of church members. You know what so-and-so-and-so did? How in the world we received them back into the church like that after what they've done? Well, I've said it before. You may not do that, but you'll do this. <laughs> we all have our problems, my friends. And if you live long enough, it's going to come around. The point I'm making to you is... If you've ever truly, really believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've cast yourself on him, then he saved you. And if he saved you, you're his son and you're his daughter, no matter where you've been since then. Now, you might think I'm opening the gate here, but I don't think I am. I'll close it later on in some other studies. <laughs> I want you to understand that you don't have to wait on a certain feeling or a certain experience or a certain something. What you're doing is you are believing God. You have to come back to the place where you believed God as you once believed him. And you will be restored in the fellowship. 
and you will see the hand of God beginning to move you and to bless you as you look to him. Now, John's Gospel, chapter 1, we're all familiar with these passages. I quote them often. Look at them one more time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, what that tells me so far is that Jesus was the voice that created the world. He was the Word, the Word that was with God, the Word that was God. All things were made by Him. The one we call Jesus, that's the Word, the living Word, and that's the voice that Adam and Eve heard in the Garden of Eden. Verse 4, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. That is, when God breathed into man the breath of life, that breath was that living Word. Living Word, Spirit, the Spirit of God, into Adam, making him a living soul. Now go down to verse 10. Verse 10. He was in the world. He was in the world by incarnation. The living Word, the voice of God, the substance of the written Word took flesh. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. Again, he was the voice of creation, and yet the world knew him not. Isn't that amazing? He came to his own. He came to his own nation. He came to his own family. He came to his own people. And his own received him not. But, verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the power, not a good translation, to privilege, the privilege, the right to become the sons of God, the daughters of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now go down to verse 14. And the Word that was with God, that was God, that created the world, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This is He of whom I spake. He that comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. In other words, our Savior did not begin to exist when he was born in the manger in Bethlehem. He was walking in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.15. He was the voice that created the world. He was the voice that Adam and Eve heard walking. He is the substance of the written word, and he has taken upon himself the flesh, and he's become the living word. Whoever he speaks to, he, has li- he gives them life. Whoever believes on him has life. I, I hope that I haven't confused you today, but I want you to understand that the word of God is true. Joseph believed it. If you believe it, then Jesus promises that he will save you. If you have been disobedient, I believe the Lord will chasten you. I believe the Lord will not. He he chastens those whom he loves. There are various reasons why trials and troubles come our way. Sometimes they come our way that we might glorify the Lord in them and through them despite the trials and the troubles. Sometimes they come our way because of our disobedience. But none of them come our way without his permission and without his love and without his wisdom in bringing us 
into submission to his will that he might bless us. You can't be blessed if you walk in contrary to his will and his will is in his word and his word is in the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. Let's stand together. Let's put that uh, thing back up on the screen there. There's Scott Horde. Let's don't, uh, don't forget Horde. Now listen, try this week to invite everybody and anybody you can. Let's fill this little building up next week. Bring people here. Tell them we're not going to take any special offering. Take them there. Tell them that. We're not going to take a special offering. We just want you to hear about this guy that's saving babies. And my understanding, I think Scott told me that uh, somewhere close to 300 that he's, that he's counted. And he's training other people. Now he's in demand going around training other people. So please, he has a ministry to the unborn. Come back next week, bring somebody with you. We're going to hear about his ministry. and We're going to pray for him and praise the Lord with him for this ministry that he has. I mean, he's on the firing line, folks. <laughs> and the best way we can support him, of course, is to pray for it. Maybe the church will decide to support him. I would certainly vote for doing that. Let us pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you will make your word clear to us that you are the one true and living God. The word that was in the beginning by which all things were created. The substance of the written word and the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and now sits in heaven, there on the throne of all power, to wait until all who are going to be saved are saved. And then shall the end come, and the trump of God shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, and we shall see the coming of the Lord with his holy angels. We shall ever be with the Lord. Father, keep us safe. Keep us looking to you. Keep us, give us the faith like Joseph had. It said, God will keep his promises. He will bring to pass what he has promised. And help us to trust you, to serve you all the days of our lives, regardless of our state in this world. We ask it in his name and we ask it for his sake. Amen. All right, so we'll...